the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are looking at the common confession of the pillar of truth in the church today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. Question for you. Is Christianity something we can do as Lone Rangers, or are we in this together? Is this a community? Well, today, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, we get some answers to those questions as we take a look at the common confession of the pillar of truth. Welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary Wagner turns us back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 once again as we take a look at life inside the church and how God has designed it. Here's Pastor Gary. The common confession of the pillar of truth. I think it can be said that these three verses are the key verses of the book of 1 Timothy. What is in these verses explains why Paul, the apostle, said the things that he has said to young Timothy. Just think about it. In the first part of the book, he says to Timothy, watch out for all these false teachers and be strong in your criticism of them. Don't let their false teaching take root in the church. Then he says, Timothy, you faithfully preach the gospel and make sure that it is the true gospel found in Holy Scripture. And also make sure the worship of the church is what it should be, particularly when it comes to prayer and those who lead in prayer. Make sure it is men who lead the worship and in the government of the church. As the women find their place in functional subordination to men and that they are holy and godly and modest. Then he says in 1 Timothy 3, make sure that the officers of the church are qualified to lead. One of the qualifications is not perfection. There's no such thing as perfect elders or deacons or preachers, but you must make sure they are qualified and that they are not just men who are in that position because they have good personalities or big incomes or influence, or prestige. Make sure that the worship and organization of the government of the church is what God has called it to be. Verses 14 through 16. Because in so many words, you should know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the truth and and the support of the truth. That's why everything has to be right. That's why worship cannot be sloppy. 
and we must do and we must not do whatever we want to do or whatever feels good or whatever might make you feel spiritual in the worship of God. Make sure it is done according to apostolic tradition. Make sure it is in accordance with the word of God. Why? Because next to God, The most beloved thing in the world to Jesus is the church and your worship. Paul said in Hebrews 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There is no one, nothing in all of creation that Jesus loves more than his church for which he shed his precious blood. Now that is not the most popular thing to say today. Because we are basically in the church individualist. After all, aren't Americans rugged individualist? We like our individualism. Well, remember when the Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to ask why America became so great so quickly... And he wrote his great book, Democracy in America, to answer that, in which he said, there is a strain of thought that has the power to destroy America if it becomes dominant. He said, there is no English word for it, so I'll just interject the French word. And understand, if it is not restrained, it will destroy America. And that is where we got the word individualism. That is, everything becomes focused on the sovereignty of the individual. His choice, his decision, his rights. And that has worked its way into about every aspect of the church's life. So that Christianity is basically a collection of individuals who made a decision to follow Christ. There is not the emphasis on a body of believers, on a corporate institution. In fact, there is a negative attitude toward the institutional church, toward the visible church. Understand, beloved, that Jesus loves his church more than anything in all of creation. And the only thing he loves more than his church is the true and the living God. Now, why does he love the church? And why did he give his life for it? Why should we conduct ourselves in the church and in our worship and its organization in our life the way that we should? Because this is the household of God. Verse 15, now in Greek it says, the house of God. So it could mean two things. The church is the family of God, which would be the household of God in the sense of a family. We are God's sons and daughters by grace through faith. Every human being is not a child of God. God is not the father of every human being. He is the creator of every human being. And every human being is a creature. But God is the Father and acts like the Father only towards those human beings who believe in Jesus Christ. As many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So the church is the household of God, the family of God. It is where God's children live. It is where God lives with his children. The church is God's home on earth. So to say, his home away from home. God lived in the Garden of Eden, and he created Adam in the Garden of Eden. And as long as Adam was a good son, he could live with his father there. But when he rebelled against his father's authority, he was expelled. Then God stepped in in mercy in Genesis 3 and said that man doesn't have to be expelled forever. So I'm going to send my son And he will crush the head of Satan and he will destroy evil in the world and save those who believe in him. So the church is where the family of God lives, not simply a group of individuals gathered for worship. You are a family, beloved. But the word house can also mean house, not a house in the sense of family, but house in the sense of where God lives. That is what the temple was called in the Old Testament. It was called the house of God. It was the visualization of God's presence among his people. God's sanctuary here on earth. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and notice there what it says about the church. Ephesians chapter 2. It says in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's house having been built. So you see, he's using house as a figure of speech, as a foundation. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building or his house being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So Paul is taking all of the imagery of the temple in the Old Testament, the house of God, the place where God lives on earth, which is the only place in all the world where you can have fellowship with God in his house, his temple, where he lives. You cannot dictate to God where you will meet with him. You cannot dictate to God how you are going to worship him. You cannot dictate to him how you are going to live before him. And the only place that you can know God and worship him and live in fellowship with him is in his house. Now bear in mind, That when the Bible uses these figures of speech like house in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, tabernacle, which was literal, physical, and the temple of Jerusalem, which was literal, physical, they were symbols of a great spiritual reality. And that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the New Testament speaks of the church, The emphasis is not on the building, that this is not the church in the ultimate sense of the word. These four walls in which we worship, they are the place in which the church meets. 
These four walls are not the family of God. They are where the family of God meets. But someone has said, Jesus came not to make us go to church, but to make us a church. Now, I actually read that off of Facebook. And you know, there's so much junk on Facebook, but that sounds pretty wonderful to me, doesn't it? Well, Jesus did come to make us a church against whom the gates of hell shall not prevail. But Jesus also came to make us want to go to church, to meet with God's people, to meet with the family of God, to enjoy fellowship and sing His praises and pray and hear the Word of God together as a family. You know how joyful it is and how edifying it is when you go and eat with family over the holidays. You know how Thanksgiving is. There's something about not eating by yourself, right? But eating with all of your family. And they're all gathered around you. Of course, as long as you're getting around, along with your family. That is the Christian's desire to be in God's house with his brothers and sisters, eating a fine meal, the Lord's Supper, and having fellowship and enjoying the presence of their Heavenly Father. The church, the t- today, the church is not looked upon as important as Jesus looks upon it. You have people who say, well, the, is, invis- the visible church over there on the corner, uh, that's okay. I just have a problem with the institutional church. Well, we, we don't really need it. I mean, it's good if you have some friends there. Maybe, maybe that's where your grandfather went. And just out of memory and honor of him, you may go to church every now and then. But the main thing is, is not going to church. The main thing is being a member of the invisible church. And if you're a member of the invisible church, it doesn't matter if you are a member of the visible church like RHC. Now, the invisible church is made up of those who really know Christ and are chosen by him. And the visible church is the institutional church made up of those who are truly believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who merely confess a belief in Christ. And some say, as long as you are a member of the invisible church, it really doesn't matter how important you may think the visible church is. Well, let me ask you a question. How many wives does God have? Is God a bigamist? Does God have two brides, an invisible and a visible church? And the visible is nowhere near as important as the invisible church. God only has one bride. There is only one church. And that church did not begin in the New Testament. He began all the way back after the fall when God saved Adam and Eve. And Adam taught his sons how to worship God by bloody sacrifices. Everyone who was elect, all of those who are true children of God are in the invisible church, though not everyone in the visible church is a child of God. Do you understand that? 
Just because you are a member of the visible church does not mean or guarantee that you are saved. Judas was a member of the visible church. But all of God's true people are to be found in his church on earth. So Paul is writing young Timothy saying, Timothy, teach your people how they are to conduct themselves in the house of God and as the house of God. There's actually a statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith that says with reference to the visible church, which is the actual family of God, the kingdom of God. It says, ordinarily, outside of the church, there is no salvation. Ordinarily. There is no salvation outside the visible institutional church. Now that means the Westminster Divines had a very high view of the church. Now it doesn't say what the Roman Catholic Church believes. But the Roman Catholic Church says there is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. So our confession is obviously far more mature and not as reckless. It says ordinarily there may be some extraordinary situation, although we can't actually think of one. But there may be such a situation. But ordinarily there is no salvation outside of the visible church so if someone says to you with his individualism the only thing that matters is that i believe in jesus you say well that, you, you're right that is important but someone who believes in jesus will love jesus church and he will treasure that church and he will realize that christ loves it and he shed his blood for it and he is faithful to it not because it's perfect, not because it has no warts or deformities, which it does, but because the church is loved by Jesus. Simple as that. And you know what? He wrote the New Testament to tell us how to conduct ourselves in the house of God and in all of life as the family of God in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean in our confession of faith, when it says normally outside the visible church of God, there is no salvation for anyone. Well, just think about what you get in the church that you don't get anywhere else. There is a statement in our larger catechism that says, what must you do to escape the wrath of God due to you for your sins? Now, I'm not making any of this up. Listen this is in the Westminster Larger Catechism, and it gives us three things on how to escape the wrath of God due to us for our sins. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And live a life in diligent use of the means of grace by which Christ communicates to us the blessings of salvation. We are not only dependent on Christ to become Christians, we are dependent on Christ to remain Christians. And the way the Lord Christ saves us and keeps us saved is through the means of grace. That is through the instruments 
that God has commanded and said, you diligently use these instruments and I'll keep on saving you. You know, there's a phrase in First Peter that says, baptism now saves us. Now, the denomination of the, of the Church of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. That salvation comes through the water of baptism. Well, we know that is not what Peter is saying here. But what in the world is he saying when he says baptism now saves us? We know we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And you know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. But the way the Roman Catholics try and get around that, since they believe water baptism is essential to salvation, they say, well... The thief on the cross wanted to be baptized and, to be ba- and, and intended to be baptized, but he just never got the opportunity to be baptized. But anyway, notice the tense of the verb. Baptism now saves us. When a verb in Greek is present tense, it denotes continuous action. So what Peter is saying is baptism now keeps on saving us. That is, it is one of those means of grace. It is one of those instruments that God has commanded us to use in our lives through which he communicates into our lives and keeps communicating into our lives the blessings and the powers of salvation. The reading of the word of God is a means of grace. It is a commanded instrument of God through which God continues to save us as we give ourselves to that word. Prayer is a means of grace, another commanded instrument of God. God says you pray and the blessings of salvation will continue to flow into your life. God says I'm not dependent on your prayers, but you are. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. As we take the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit causes the various accomplishments and powers of Christ's death to work themselves into our lives. And beloved, there is no other place on earth where you can participate in the means of grace except in the church. No place. The Lord's Supper is not served outside of the church. If it is, it is illegitimate. Baptism is to be performed by an an ordained minister or elder. It is not legitimate for a father to do so in the backyard pool as some actually do today. When all of the demands of God's word concerning baptism are disregarded, it is not a means of grace. So if you think you can remain a Christian and not participate diligently in the means of grace, you are greatly mistaken. I have had friends tell me, well, I read my Bible every day, and I say, well, that's better than not reading your Bible. But if you are reading the, if your reading of the Bible does not make you love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are 
wasting your time reading the Bible. It's not doing you any good. What is the purpose of the Bible? It is to drive you to Christ, Christ and into His church. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.